0: hello again everyone and thanks for tuning in my name is jeff kwame your host and executive director of the connecticut certification board the ccb is a not-for-profit workforce development organization whose mission is to cultivate and maintain the highest standards of professional practice within the recovery field and this podcast is in furtherance of that mission on behalf of the board of directors and the staff of the ccb I'd like to welcome you to this episode of Scope of Practice. The intimate connection between the brain and the gastrointestinal system is not a newly discovered phenomenon, but has received much more attention in recent years, even being addressed by the Harvard Medical School on their public website in the spring of 2021. The GI tract is sensitive to emotion, for example, think butterflies in your stomach, or that phrase, a gut-wrenching experience, and a troubled gut can send signals to the brain that affect mood. Looking at this from the perspective of a substance use disorder treatment provider, it's clear to see how poor gut health and the corresponding emotional distress can not only exacerbate a person's substance use, but can also trigger a recurrence of those to use for those who are already involved in the recovery process. Failure to address gut health has the potential to lead to unnecessary long-term use of medications for depression and anxiety, including benzodiazepines. It is something that we must do a better job addressing with our clients to help them seek appropriate care the discussion of this was part of our guest's keynote presentation at the ccb's annual conference in june of this year and the feedback from attendees was clear many were surprised to learn of the importance of gut health with some expressing plans to maintain better care of their own gi tract and that this information should be shared more broadly for this purpose we welcome dr Jacquel patterson back to the program about two years since her last appearance And she's going to share her expertise with us. Dr. Patterson is a nationally and internationally recognized naturopathic physician and medical director of Fairfield Family Health in Fairfield, Connecticut. She's a decorated and sought-after speaker who presents at large conferences and has appeared multiple times on television, in publications, and on radio. She has been published in the New York Magazine, USA Today, Real Simple Magazine, Under Armour Fitness Pal, Natural Practitioner, Naturopathic Doctor News and Review, and the spa doctor amongst others. In addition to her naturopathic medical degree, she has her MBA in healthcare management from Quinnipiac University and has her undergrad degree from Cornell. Before we start, please let me state very clearly that anything we discuss is informational only and not to be taken as medical advice. Before undertaking any process to address your health, please meet with your personal healthcare provider and advise your clients to do so as well. I am humbled to call Dr. Patterson my colleague and glad to call her my friend. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi Jeff, thank you so much for having me back. Uh, I love all the the great work you're always doing, and really excited to talk about gut health and mental health. Gut health is the root of so many different disease conditions. You know, outside of of mental health. And um, it's when we're working with patients, especially as a naturopathic physician or anybody in the functional medicine space, they often say, like, first begin with the gut. And the reason is just even from which we'll go into even from our development, the first two to five years. And how that gets developed is actually really important from even that beginning of our immune development and how that is connected uh, to everything, our immune system, our ability for our bodies to know what should be there and what should not be there. And then also a huge connection to the whole gut brain connection and all the neurotransmitters that are in our, in our gut, in addition to our brain, that can be really impacted based on like our lifestyle, what we do and how we support it fully.
0: I remember years ago when I first started working in uh, medication-assisted treatment, the physician uh, was kind of giving us a, uh, an overview of kind of what happens when someone takes the methadone and things and talked about how so much of uh, there are so many opioid receptors in the stomach and along the stomach lining that it's it, it starts being used almost immediately. Um, so that kind of led my interest in this. And, again, we got so much feedback from the conference that that I didn't want to miss an opportunity to talk more about it. Uh, let's talk about what what's been called our second brain. Actually, Johns Hopkins Medicine put that in there and said that it's our second brain, the enteric nervous system. What can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah. So when when oftentimes they're talking about, you know, the gut brain access, they're often talking about the, the vagus nerve. So that um you know goes into this area. You know, people get, you know, you've heard like butterflies where you get that kind of like gut feeling. Um and so those are often when we look at like parasympathetic versus sympathetic. So parasympathetic is when you're relaxed and calm and more of a uh a, you need parasympathetic state to go to sleep, to have good, you know, sleep and also also for management of your stress. And then you have what's like more sympathetic. Um and that is more like I always say like you're you're running from a bear, like more in like a you do need a sympathetic state because that allows you to do things and be active and sometimes you do need to be in that state to to obviously to be a alive and just survive. However, um, if we are constantly activating more of the the sympathetic, uh, that sympathetic piece of our, you know, our our brain, we're going to have some some issues there. So when we're looking at gut brain, we're talking about that um like that, that parasympathetic, that relaxation, there's there's actually a lot of things to help with vagus nerve, including meditation, like slow deep breathing exercises, not even just meditation, but slow, deep breaths and i can often see with patients if we work on just like the vagal nerve response they'll i've seen even tremors or or, um, movements etc and we can get that to slow down just by slowly counting and doing deep breathing so and abdominal breathing and so when you look at meditation or if you look at a baby you know when babies are born they naturally breathe if you watch them they use their their they breathe using their stomach more their stomach muscles. And then as we get older, we do a lot of our breathing up here in our chest. And um, it's not allowing for good, uh, you know, parasympathetics in, in terms of creating more of a parasympathetic state, it's creating more of a sympathetic state. And so um, looking at that power, helping to find ways to be in more of the parasympathetic state to help with the vagus nerve and that connection is is really, really important. Um, so so that's what we're we're looking at typically when we're talking about that.
0: You know, we recognize for many years that our moods and disruption to our normal emotional state, you know, creates issues in our GI tract. Can you talk about uh, when we first noticed that it also went in reverse?
1: Oh, yeah. So sometimes people will have, in terms of symptoms, uh, acid reflux, <laughs> because we need actually your system, like for things like what they call peristalsis, which is that contraction to digest, needs to be actually in a parasympathetic state. And so oftentimes, what do we do when we eat? We're eating on the run. We're standing and eating. We're doing this in five minutes. And, and you know, what happens? You get things like acid reflux, poor digestion, bloating, abdominal pain. When you look at other cultures, as we know, you know, in Spain and Italy, they do siestas, you know, after lunch and they take their time and they sit down and they gather together. You actually release a lot of you have these different like olfactory senses and things in your mouth and your and in your in your smell senses that oftentimes don't get activated because of the fact that we're always on the run and the go and the go and th- those will actually trigger our body to release specific enzymes to start beginning the process for our body to prepare for digestion um, and those are all typically there's some initial sympathetic but then there's the parasympathetic and so if we're in a state of constant stress or not focusing or being present and eating that's going to definitely cause things like you know digestive problems like from the beginning and so what that means is you're not going to get the the food that you want to be broken down properly that's not going to happen it can later lead to what's called dysbiosis which are really gut um, issues like bloating abdominal pain and then ultimately some individuals especially if you're eating poorly you can get what's called leaky gut and with leaky gut Um, you have this issue with permeability of the gut. You have things going in and out of the gut. It should be tight and consolidated and, and over time, um, that could get weakened from again, poor eating, not getting a good enough prebiotics and probiotics stress actually weakens the lining of the gut, not getting proper sleep, um, over excess of exercise people don't know that if someone's exercising like four or five hours a day like long time like marathon runners etc you weaken the gut lining what happens with that it allows these undigested the the weakness the barrier to get weaker and then over time you get this like passing of food particles and things like that into your system and so you'll see someone that gets more and more allergies as they get older or they're like everything i eat it bothers me or um i'm getting bloating or indigestion so not only this, the fact that you're not conscient, you know, like not conscious when you're eating and being present and being more of a sympathetic state. But then over the time, over time, having decreased digestive enzymes and also having things like leaky gut, which um, means a lot of the foods you're having aren't absorbed well and are causing a lot of abdominal issues as well.
0: You know, as of you know, in recent times, you hear a lot more about leaky gut these days. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm glad that you brought that up because it's kind of it seems just like a buzzword that you hear. But it's glad I'm glad you were able to talk a little bit about that. And it seems like our culture, how we kind of uh, uh live, kind of sends us in a way to to have mm-hmm. problems exactly. in the gut. I I spent some time in Western Europe as a teenager uh, and saw how relaxed meals were, saw how relaxed there was it was not a competitive, such a competitive society in the Scandinavian mm-hmm. countries, and much less stress. You didn't see a lot of the health problems um that, that are common here in, in America. Now I didn't really think about it at the time, but as I reflect back on what you're saying, um it, it's pretty clear to me.
1: Yes and then and then also That plus the fact that we don't eat as well as a lot of those other countries. If you look at countries where people live a lot longer, they tend to eat, consume, firstly, a lot of like beans. They tend to eat a lot of foods that are prebiotics. So so what are some of the foods that are prebiotics are? things like artichokes, leeks, beans, um, you know, cabbage, like other things that are are fuel for basically what they call colonocytes. Our colon needs that to be able to fuel up our probiotics like lactobacillus. And so a lot of us aren't getting all of those like garlic, onions. Those are all actually considered prebiotics. And those help your body to produce the probiotics that they need for the gut health. But unfortunately, or fortunately, you, you get most of those foods from dark green leafy vegetables, from a, a diet that's high in vegetables and beans, and uh, countries and cultures that live longer tend to consume a lot more of that. And as we know, in America, the standard American diet is far, far from that. Um, I think it's like maybe one serving of fruit or vegetable a day. And that's often from the like ketchup and other things that are are not really like sources of, of fruits and vegetables. And so those what people don't realize are those vegetables actually contain tons of good bacteria we need like the lactobacillus like bifidobacterium things like that that are are, are the ability for your body to rather produce it um and if we're not having that then where is it going to get it from so then now you're at a deficit where those good bacteria in your gut are not there and if you don't have enough good bacteria in your gut it allows for the overgrowth of really bad bacteria so um you know strep or staph or you know e coli in a high amount or some of these opportunistic bacteria that are connected with autoimmune conditions like klebsiella or proteus and so you need what you do by having diets that are consistently higher in uh, vegetable content we're allowing our body to naturally produce it and not allow for those overgrowth of bad bacteria as well which is not the standard diet in america at all so no
0: so much of what we eat is processed um and then you know any unknown amount of chemicals are in there, which are not good for our system. I mean, we know that, but we continue to do live as we live. It's it's just part of kind of the American experience, I guess. You know, anecdotally, I've seen that individuals with IBS and other bowel-related issues seem to have a higher percentage of anxiety and depression than the general population. Um, Is this a case of the enteric nervous system sending signals to the central nervous system?
1: Well, some of it too is um, they have had studies to show like over about, I think it's around 70% of neurotransmitters are located in the gut. And one of the top ones is actually serotonin. Uh, Dopamine is another one. And we have other catecholamines like norepinephrine. So when you look at um, actually kids, for example, or actually adults as well that have ADHD, the neurotransmitters that are most connected are serotonin, dopamine, norepinephrine, epinephrine, And so if that digestion uh, um, is not working well, where a lot of neurotransmitters are located, that's going to cause, you know, some effects mentally, Um, especially a lot of people in those categories, for example, tend to eat foods that are additives, etc. But when you look at IBS, if um, if let's say that is oftentimes I find with IBS people, they tend to have food allergies or food sensitivities, which are oftentimes linked with the leaky gut thing I talked about in some Mm -hmm. ways to test for it um zonulin is one thing that helps with the barrier of the gut and then something called immunoglobulin a which is basically like how the mucosal linings of 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 many pieces of your body including uh, your gut how well they're operating and so someone with ibs lots of times they have a lot of those food sensitivities or allergies they have things like leaky gut and so things are just like are are going in and out, and so oftentimes I'm putting them on something to tighten up that barrier, so they're less sensitive, and then also checking for the foods to find out what they're eating, what what they're actually eating that bothers them, um, and so we try to avoid those things for a period of time as well. But there's also connections. That's when you see when people get nervous, like they're scared for an event, like anticipation anxiety. What happens? Some people need to go to run to the bathroom. Some and then some people are the opposite. They get constipated, you know, when they're more stressed, they can't go to the bathroom. So that shows there's that whole again, parasympathetic, sympathetic. What we just said, that signal that's going to the gut. Your gut should be more in a parasympathetic state, uh, but if you're in sympathetic, say if you're running from a bear, you're not necessarily gonna stop and go to the bathroom, you know. But but some people they might be, you know, we all respond to stress differently. So some people they're going seven times a day, and then some people they're not going for like a week. Um, because their body is going to just focus on like what it needs to, to, to get by basically. And so it can manifest in different ways for people, but it is more of a parasympathetic relaxed function, which is hard to do if you're under stress. As you
0: were talking about that, I was just thinking of a couple of things. One was, uh, Bill Russell, who was probably the greatest team, uh, champion in team sports, uh, was a great human being, just was, uh, you know, one of a kind, mm-hmm. uh, an icon, Before every game, he would go into the bathroom and throw up because he was so nervous. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of his his emotional getting ready uh, for the game. So he Mm -hmm. was always in that that sympathetic state. Yes. Um,
1: And they'll feel better, too. They're like, okay, once I throw up or once I go to the bathroom, I feel better because that's how they kind of handle that sympathetic state but that is not the normal way it should be. Right. So a lot of times with IBS, it's honestly it's more common in America and there's probably a reason for that because of stress like if you look in other countries, they don't have the same. They might have other GI issues, but IBS isn't as prevalent as it is in in United States.
0: Given the importance of the communication between the, the ENS and the CNS, what are some of the treatment implications for individuals with mood disorders? You know, uh, we see many clinicians have seen significant overall health changes, um, whether it be pharmacological based or not. But do we see those kind of changes when the gut health is a primary focus?
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. So there's actually so one thing. So, for example, um, when I talked about neurotransmitters, right? Mm -hmm. So glutamate is one and glutamine is one. And glutamine, for example, is an amino acid that. Um, coincidentally helps with leaky gut. It actually increases up immunoglobulin A and strengthens the lining of the gut. And you'll see sometimes people are deficient in glutamine and glutamate, which are actually excitatory neurotransmitters. Um, there's definitely things to be able to take to to, to, to strengthen that up so that those neurotransmitters are working at a, a better, you know, in a better way. The other thing is a lot of the medications. Um, that are provided like psychiatric medications can have an effect on gut health. They can have an effect on things like you see weight gain that people will have as well. That is a common symptom. So um, and they've also studied very specific strains of uh, of like actually probiotic like that they've shown that individuals with anxiety and depression and other mental health conditions actually have different gut microbiomes they've they've done they've done mice studies to show that their gut microbiome may be different and there's actually probiotics made that have those gut microbiome they have found have been deficient they're, they're basically lacto specific lactobacillus species so um there is definitely a connection and like if i'm working with somebody that does have, you know, that has any mental health disorder, I'm I'm definitely making sure to also check, um, their, you know, gastrointestinal health and like what overgrowth of what bacteria or if they don't have enough, et cetera. Um, but there's definitely a, a very particular pattern. The other thing is like inflammation stress will, um, will also impact the gut and if you look at studies like depression increases up inflammatory markers. So a lot of people don't realize that. So something called interleukin six, which is an inflammatory marker that will go up for individuals with depression. And so people with depression may have issues of pain, a more significant pain, um, more inflammatory conditions and, and vice versa. You know, it kind of works both ways. Um, if you have inflammation too, chronic people with chronic disease conditions also are more likely to have issues with anxiety and depression as well. So it kind of goes together. So looking at all of that is like is really, really important because if we get like you talked about some of the mental health, those those statuses I guess in some ways improved or better, you'll also see or if we work on gut health the other way, you'll see um, some of the the symptoms by way of mental health also improve. I've definitely seen that just working on gut health hands down for sure.
0: So when we look at, you know, somebody enters a substance use disorder recovery, you know, seeing symptoms of a mood disorder is very common. It may be for a multitude of reasons, um, but to have a, a symptom of a mood disorder, uh, whether diagnosable or not, it's not, not uncommon, especially in post-acute withdrawal. Um, the substance-related issues on gut health uh exacerbate the challenge of treating both effectively and I don't just mean like with alcohol and the damage that it does to to the stomach and the lining of the stomach and that sort of thing mm-hmm. but it, it it make it more difficult to treat
1: typically yes and then and usually what i'm having to do is oftentimes um the the foods that uh individuals that have substance use issues the the diet might not be as supportive as we need it to so typically they're going to need a lot of like protein like amino acids so amino acids like when you look at like 5-HTP that's tryptophan that's a precursor to um precursor to serotonin and you need serotonin for what to also to increase up melatonin so you get good sleep quality when you look at glutamine um, that increases up glutamine, glutamate, which is another neurotransmitter for the brain. So a lot of times I'm working with someone with a substance use issue, we're making sure they're getting ample like lean protein and a lot of good quality amino acids to help compensate for for likely a deficiency that your brain, may have less of those building blocks needed to be able to to have support for those neurotransmitters. So um, I'm I'm usually looking at that piece because what people are mostly craving are carbohydrates because actually when you get enough carbohydrates, carbohydrates have B vitamins which help your brain uh, function like energy, but they also help to increase up serotonin levels. So a person that has a substance use issue is going to have more cravings for carbohydrates because not only does it help to, it it gives a dopamine, that reward center gets kicked in. So dopamine is for the reward center, which is what they're always going to be, what someone usually with substance use issue is going to be seeking, which you're going to get from eating those like fast foods, like foods that are not good. And then also your serotonin levels. So one way to help to combat that is making sure the diet is, has a lot of protein, um, before that craving happens, um, before those things happen that your body will want to have to kind of replace the deficiency or gap it's having from, you know, from, from basically, it, especially for withdrawal. So they've had that shown, you know, to help a little bit more with that, to help support by looking at things like, uh, protein, amino acids, et cetera, um, to prevent that that withdrawal impact rather than going into a lot a lot of carbohydrates which you will want to have to help with that dopamine kick and that dopamine release
0: in my experience watching people in, in coming into treatment and things it was sugar 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 so carbs carbs mm-hmm. carbs uh, so much so that i remember the it, when i worked in a methadone program they had a the secretary had a bowl of candy and jen valle who's a, a board member uh for the CCB and i worked together at the time and we were saying can we get rid of the bowl of candy can we you know I'm, it's great to give folks snacks but let's not you know feed into the fact that I'm watching people make coffee and putting five t- tablespoons of sugar in there, and so yeah. yeah and you'll I've, see like, I've people gain a lot of grade. weight.
1: Yeah, and you'll see them gain a lot of weight after after that withdrawal, and then you're giving literally the 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 le- worst thing to give because what happens is it does the sugar will give you that immediate fix but then you have that crash and burn 10 minutes later versus yeah. if you have like the right proteins you're going to have kind of a stabilization of your glucose so there's oftentimes an imbalance too with their glucose and insulin levels and so that all needs to be supported but but ask somebody to stay away from sugar or sweet or something for two weeks they will have the same exact mm-hmm types of symptoms of somebody I mean not maybe as obviously as significant but it's very very difficult in the same way if you ask somebody to cold cut turkey also they also have seen with um, substance use that there's often issues with symptoms uh, present very similar to like hypoglycemia um, with if you look at the hypoglycemic symptoms a lot of them are almost like withdrawal symptoms and so you're going to want that that carbohydrate and and sugar to help to kind of again compensate for that 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 shift over
0: yeah, you're trying to find your own
1: Solution. state of
0: homeostasis mm-hmm. rather than the body doing it, kind of doing it on its own. Um, when you're talking to patients about gut health, when you just meet somebody, and what are some of the things that you're assessing?
1: So lots of times, um, people people are always surprised that they're like, Man, you ask a lot of questions about gut or or your poop, you know, they're like because they're not used to having those kind of conversations, but it is important because people People don't realize like what some of their gut things are not normal. And I'm actually often surprised when someone says, oh, I don't have any bloating or abdominal pain or, you know, I go to the bathroom twice a day and there's never an issue or never has been an issue. That's very rare. That's like 10 percent of my patient base, Mm -hmm. to be honest. So most people, some of the symptoms will say they'll say um, after like acid reflux symptoms after certain foods. People will say sometimes symptoms people don't know when they have food sensitivities, actually congestion, blowing their nose, clearing their clearing their throat. I like to drink coffee. I know I'm slightly allergic to coffee because every time I have coffee, I'm I'm clearing my throat pretty instantly. Um, But people you don't pay attention. That's the crazy thing. Like people don't pay attention like or you'll get a headache after certain foods you eat. Um, so the symptoms sometimes aren't just in the stomach, it could be other physical symptoms like fatigue. So sometimes I'll do food sensitivity, like a uh, check for people for what foods they're allergic to, and we'll remove, let's say it's dairy. And then three months later, later I try to reintroduce it and they're like, Oh my gosh, when I was off of it, like my brain was clear. I could think sharper. They don't want to get back on it because they didn't realize like how, how Mm -hmm. sadly we're in such a go, go, go society. Like I said, like you don't even pay attention to it. You just like take an Advil or you take something to alleviate it. You don't really connect that. It might've been something you had. So typically, yeah, acid reflux, um bloating abdominal pain some people will feel nauseous i have some people that'll say that like as soon as they eat something immediately they feel sick and then also anything like normally bowel movements are like one to three times a day if it's less than that or if it's more than that that's a cause for concern is it fully formed you know what's the shape of it if it's too like we actually go into that level of detail of like even the color because if it's for example too dark is it because um it's like, you know, uh, in terms of like iron or blood or is there a loss of that or is there or is it staying too long? And it's because um, the bilirubin or things like that had chance to build up, which caused the coloring. Or if it's too light, that means the transit time is too fast. So we really will look at that even to that level because it kind of is indicative of, of that piece. The other thing that's important, people don't realize like, okay, just go to the bathroom. They don't realize things that it's connected to a lot of other things in their body so for example if a person's not going all the time your your body like for example cholesterol and your hormones will get re-uptaked into the body so if you actually don't eliminate like someone for example that's high cholesterol and you're not going to the bathroom until once a week, the cholesterol will actually get retaken up in your body. Same as hormones. So if I have a woman that also has hormone issues, like going to the bathroom regularly isn't important. And you wouldn't think that would be connected at all. But some people can have like a big shift just from that because the fact that it can cause this this issue with these things getting reprocessed into the body and the body having to then, it's like doing a double dose of it, so...
0: I can assure you that, um, you know, I, as you know, I had a bout of pancreatitis about five and a half mm-hmm. years ago. Believe me, when I got out of the hospital, we had those conversations <laughs> <laughs> you know, and by then I had been poked, prodded and done everything that I'll talk about. I would
1: you I'll talk tell you about everything you want to know, right?
0: I don't just, but I it, love talking
1: it, to kids about it because they, they, they start cracking up and they think it's so funny, but then people, like I said, they don't even know what's, what's normal and not because they're just so used to it. So.
0: When you were talking about uh, serotonin, there was some interesting study that just came out very recently. It was a meta-analysis of some uh, previous research about the connection with depression and serotonin, and the results were absolutely incredible. There was no evidence to show that those who were depressed had lower serotonin levels um, or even any abnormal serotonin activity compared to those without depression. And so, it, obviously, this is going to have pharmaceuticals uh, companies mm-hmm. scrambling because they're pushing SSRIs um, when they may not need to be. Um, but does this open the door for uh, more promotion of naturopathic treatment?
1: It does. It's funny because someone, um, I'm actually pulling it up as, as we speak. Someone actually asked me about that because I posted something on social media about like bananas and talked about the fact that bananas are high in tryptophan, which I just mentioned is a precursor to serotonin and it has vitamins like B6 and serotonin actually helps with, uh, you know, anxiety and depression, et cetera. Um, and so, but, you know, someone mentioned that, you know, this, this study that had came out um, that talked particularly about like low serotonin not being proven to cause depression. So it may not help. Some people, it may help. Um, 85% of the population at large actually has low serotonin levels. So that's another factor. So 85% of the population has low serotonin. There is evidence, though, that tryptophan depletion, which comes from foods um, for people with risk or have had depression have shown clinical improvement so they have had studies that that hasn't that piece about the you know ssris and medications hasn't necessarily applied as it pertains to those 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 amino acid building blocks like tryptophan that you get from foods like banana Um, haven't compared the same way to medication. So um, trauma also plays a role in stress on neurotransmitters. People don't realize like GABA, dopamine, norepinephrine, epinephrine, histamine. And so that's exactly why it's important to work up a full case because everybody's slightly different. But that piece that you talked about with the studies has been particularly to medications, but they have had some great studies that have shown tryptophan depletion being low in that, which you get from these amino acids can... um, by um, augmenting and, and taking things or consuming foods with it or supplements, et cetera, have shown to have clinical improvement with depression. So it, it didn't work out the same way as it did for food versus, yeah. you know, medication. So
0: I, I thought the study was interesting because I saw it in, in, you know, trade publications,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but then it was actually in a New York times or something. Um, and the article, the New York times article, if that's, if I can remember correctly, the focus of that was, uh, they wanted to make sure that people who were using SSRIs didn't go run and throw them out because they read that they wanted to or heard that they wanted to just say that it's a possibility. Everybody is different. And, and you know, whatever condition somebody may be dealing with, get back to your health provider on that. But I just thought exactly. it was interesting that because, you know, we're a society, we see something and we we're all or nothing. We don't see the gray area. We say, mm-hmm. oh, I'm that's me. I'm on an SRI. I don't need that. And you may or may not. But mm-hmm. it's worth checking out with your doctor. Yes,
1: and you've probably seen where some people, like many of my patients, they do really, really well with um, SSRI, you know, and that works for them. But then you have some people where it doesn't. And you'll see where there's this change of medication, sometimes to other SSRIs. So maybe it is that, you know, there's other ones that need to be considered as part of that makeup because it's it's not working for, you know, every single person
0: we're starting to see probiotic treatment. It's a very novel way to, to kind of treat SUDs um, as recent evidence shows promising effects of, as you mentioned, probiotics in treating other mental disorders, mostly anxiety and, and depression, which are comorbid with SUDs. Um, in layman's terms, what would a probiotic intervention look like?
1: Yep. So, so the biggest ones, um, so and I want to talk about prebiotics too if that's okay. But sure. the the ones the um, the ones that we look at the most common ones that we have is something called lactobacillus and we have many different species of that. The other one is something called bifidobacterium and then we also have like something called saccharomyces. So saccharomyces boulardii is something that's often great especially if you've been on a lot of antibiotics. It um helps for many different reasons. So they have studies that show lactobacillus strain having a high amount of that and an ample amount of bifidobacteria and help to prevent the overgrowth of ones that shouldn't be in your gut. And they are from fermented foods. We get them from things like sauerkraut, yogurt. In some cultures like Korean, they do kimchi. Um, and those are all food sources to do it. Um, but technically, usually when you look at something like a supplement form, it's going to tend to be like billions and billions I don't usually like to say to take a crazy billions amount because you want to almost make it similar to food. And I know that's been another fad where people are getting 50 billion or 100 billion doing that every day. You want to really diversify like the different strains that you have and also be mindful of not having too, too high of an amount that your body that you're trying to consume it through foods as much as possible. Um, so so those are those are the ones most known. But the other thing I was going to say going back is that when we're born, we actually get. uh from if if it's a vaginal birth, um from the mother to the the baby, um, there's this transfer of lactobacillus. And when a baby is actually um born by c-section, they actually get more strep and staph because remember, that's from the skin. And so those are specific bacteria for all different phases of our life. That's another people thing people don't realize. Like up until, like five or 10 years old, our gut, our gut is still developing and our immune system is still developing. So if I have like a young child that has these gut issues, honestly, typically one of the easiest things is to look at like probiotics or, you know, are they, um, other, other kinds of things that to incorporate, because typically it's because they were, they didn't have enough that, you know, it wasn't adequate, adequate of an amount. The other thing, um, I was going to say talking about prebiotics, I usually often, if I'm working with someone like to first work with prebiotics, because They're, um, they're considered indigestible foods, but they actually help to restore, they will restore a a gut microbiome that's not well, you know, so it'll help to restore it because as I mentioned, they're metabolized, these prebiotics are metabolized by what's called anaerobic gut bacteria Mm -hmm. that produce something called short chain fatty acids. And it reduces the colon, the pH of the colon, which, which actually favors the growth of lactobacillus and bifidobacterium. So that's why you want to, and it also helps with what they call the colonicates, so that they can, um, they can allow for the growth of lactobacillus and bifidobacterium. So some of the four, so if you look at like the Mediterranean diet, they have a greater abundance of, of some of those bacteria that, that you'll see for the body. They've shown prebiotics help with lowering CRP inflammatory markers And things like what I um, mentioned earlier, interleukin-6 and interleukin-8. So those, the prebiotics are great because you get them from food sources like artichoke, like garlic, like onions that I mentioned earlier, um, asparagus, all of those foods that can help so your body can naturally produce the probiotics it needs.
0: Other than following you on Instagram, and you would mention some of the stuff you put on, on social media, and, and I find it fascinating and very informative, and, and I encourage people to follow you because it's really good information. Um, what are some resources available for people to find out more information, kind of just generally on gut health?
1: Um, that's a, g- a good question. I know there are. See, I don't want to say sometimes with social media it's not good because you have to be careful of where that information is coming from because sometimes if it's not vetted uh, from the 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 right people, it might not be um it it might not be the best, you know, the best thing. So I would say, you know, any any um I really one I, if I suggest I don't have like a necessarily like a specific website or a specific group to go to, but I would Definitely make sure if you're looking at or following someone that's considered a licensed naturopathic doctor and a Mm -hmm. licensed functional medicine doctor that focuses on uh, gut health, that's important because you know that the information is coming from somebody that's medically trained and the information they have comes from what's called PubMed. So PubMed is something you can actually Google and PubMed has references to all research articles on specific disease conditions. It's much more scientific. But the cool thing is it is open to the public to see. But but a provider or doctor is going to actually make sure all their stuff that is shown has been clinically or you know has been proven or studied or there, there's been some studies in relation to it.
0: Oh, I love PubMed. That's I get so much information from there. But part of that is what you're reading is you're looking at a study about a mm-hmm. uh, in a controlled environment, things, but people will often Extrapolate the results and say, "Oh, I'm going to do this. i want to do that." Instead of just being informational, or or exactly. Kind
1: of and and what is the end? Like somebody, people show a study, and it's like ten people, and it happened one time, but it didn't work the other time. And so that's why that's exactly why those are the things that you could pull one study to make one argument one way, and you could pull another study to have it a different way. And so that's why it's good to try to make sure whatever information you're getting, it's from people that have expertise because they they should have, like myself. Should have delved deep enough to make sure that that is like ample enough, sufficient information to be able to kind of well, we never make a claim, but to be able to to be able to support it. So
0: before we finish up, anything that you'd like to add?
1: no, i um, I just just think of this because I talked about a lot. So think of the small things. I think the first thing I always tell people is you know start trying to consume more prebiotics in your diet. you could you know there's there's definitely leeks beans things like that lentils you know what can you consume like every day small would start with baby steps i always try not to have it where people feel overwhelmed they're going to be on a million things so start with ba- baby steps well, you getting, know like, people Yeah. yes <laughs> we know people <laughs> to get in good quality food you know and, and start like it doesn't mean you need to be eating seven to nine servings of fruits and vegetables in the day in the day from 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 day one it might be that you build it over time you know focusing on health instead of vanity. I always say that that's been one of my big goals in the last two years is not focusing on like, I need to lose weight or I want to be this, you know, on appearance rather than like health. And like, I'm going to do this to be healthier. I want to have more prebiotics and also incorporate more probiotic food. So my stomach feels better. So I don't, I've, I feel better energetically so that my brain, you know, I'm more clear, I'm more focused. There's tons of health benefits you get from having good health. So I think we kind of tend to forget that and we just focus on the vanity piece. So I'd say good prebiotics, incorporating more fruits and vegetables. If you can get a probiotic through food, it's things like yogurt, kimchi, sauerkraut, things like that. But um, you want to make sure it has is uh, replete in like a variety of probiotics, including things like lactobacillus and bifidobacterium, not too, too high of an amount. Um, making sure, like I said, you get your information from a a vetted, uh, vetted you know, provider or somebody that you can actually trust and make sure that their information is accurate. Um, and then also back to the basis, the basics of like meditation, like that's something I do every day, deep breathing, because those will actually help to improve your digest, di- digestive functioning. Because if you're more relaxed, you're going to be able to. Uh, your body's going to be able to digest the foods better. In other cultures you'll see, like in Italy, they do something called bitters. I don't know if you're familiar with bitters, but bitters are actually things to to start stimulating your gut before you eat so that you can like digest the food better. And so lots of times taking the time to eat eat and be mindfully eating, slow and quiet and actually blocking out a time, those enzymes will start to kick out. But you can also do things like, You know, like I mentioned, there's digestive enzymes, there's things like bitters to help aid with it. But the first thing is to really try to slow down, even if it's, again, instead of five minutes, you're taking 15 minutes to eat or you're not eating it when you're in transit or like in my office, I'll go upstairs to eat instead of eating at my desk. Like Most of us just sit and eat at our desk and don't move. So things like that. So you're kind of saying to yourself and your body is a reminder, hey, I'm going to eat. I'm going to do something for myself instead of it being... Um, something that doesn't, doesn't show importance. You're basically not telling yourself it's, it's something important enough to focus on.
0: Well, good advice and simple enough for, for folks to follow. Uh, thanks again to Dr. Patterson for spending time with us as we scratch the surface, really, of the gut-brain axis. I hope we somehow motivated individuals to learn more on their own again from a provider that's been vetted. Uh, and that's going to do it for this episode of Scope or Practice. I'd like to thank Dr. Jekyll Patterson of Fairfield Family Health for fitting us into your incredibly busy schedule, especially today. (laughs) We here at the CCB, appreciate everyone who's listening. Don't forget to follow us on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcast application. Until next time, Dr. Patterson, thanks again for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me. And also follow me at um, naturopathic.position on Instagram to get some information and also, uh, yeah, connect with us there. So thank you so much again for having me. And
0: I'll share that through the CCB social media.
1: Awesome.